Okay, good afternoon. Um, somehow you've survived all week, and I asked Michael, uh, now, who will be actually conscious for this uh, this particular seminar, or whatever you want to call it? Um, so I hope you've had a good week. Uh, anything that you have that have learned, that you've learned about um, youth ministry suffering, any any good stories you want to share before we get started? Because we'll share, I'll share a few. So, yeah. Everybody's alive? Yeah. Barely. Okay. Um, let me open this in prayer and we'll get started. Gracious Father, we, uh, we come at the end of this day and uh, we are tired and we pray that You would give us grace to remember what we need to remember, to think through how You might um, meet us and greet us with Your kindness, to remind us that we are, we're not crazy as disciples who seek to follow You, pick up a cross and follow after You. Help us to believe that You are good, uh, that You are our Father, and indeed You have given us good gifts, perfect gifts in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we thank You for the high calling of ministering your gospel and being celebrators of the very gospel of your grace to us. So help the one who teaches and help us to hear and encourage one another in faith and good deeds, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I said, Michael, why, why are you picking me to do this? And uh, he probably said something like, uh, because you've screwed up so much in ministry, there's a <laughs> tremendous amount to be taught. Uh, I did youth ministry for 10 years campus ministry for seven years. I planted a church for 11 years, and now I lead a church planting network, West Tennessee, uh, Mississippi, Southeast Louisiana. So that's my new calling uh, that I've had for the last year. So I spend a lot of time on the road talking to a lot of pastors and youth pastors. And that's sort of always been something that God has put in my life, is to, to connect, to encourage other pastors for some reason. And I've gone through all kinds of trenches with guys. I've helped plant churches. I've helped shut churches down. Uh, I've, I've helped fat pastors get released from their churches. And I've helped pastors find calls to their churches in my roles that I've played in different areas of life. And so um, I, I can promise you this. After 20 years of gospel ministry and being married 26 years, there, there are lots of losses and crosses, right? There's just a lot of... A lot of junk in the trunk. There's a lot of baggage, a lot of struggle. So, you know, Jack Miller's great comment is discipleship is screwing up in front of others. And so, here I am um, <laughs> to share some of that with you. I've been married to Kathy for 26 years. We have five kids. Uh, my oldest is married, and she is involved in a, a cross-cultural ministry in the middle of Mississippi. My other son is about to be married in February. He'll be doing youth ministry uh, in Jackson, Mississippi, and then I've got two in college and one still at home with me. Um, so it's a privilege to be here with you and really just say, you know, as we think about uh, ministry and ministry in the church, we are, we are perpetually dealing with right, people who are volunteers, but you, for the most part, or many of you are getting paid to serve those volunteers. And so you realize that the church is the most complex organism to even work near or around. And we're, we're even members of those churches, and it's complicated, right? And so it's, it's good to remember the sovereignty of God, that His grace is greater than all of our sins, and He loves working through the chaos. So I'm living proof of youth ministry and, and campus ministry. The messier it gets, the be- more beautiful God's grace appears 
when we enter into a lot of, lot of junk, especially as things change so very, very quickly. Uh, and so uh, I, I, I work with a group called Bent Tree. We're, uh, a kind of, I'm on a board that helps pastors kind of retreat away. Do part of what you experience here, which is just really rest, wisdom, and fellowship, and then you get a lot of stuff. <laughs> you got more stuff than you can shake a stick at with books and things you were learning. Uh, but this video has always made me laugh, and it, it's a little, it, it's a little Imago Day crushing, kind of image of God crushing, but nonetheless should uh, prepare our time to talk some more. Marriage and family, it's sometimes like. Being a pastor is sometimes like. Parenting is sometimes like everyday stuff of life. Being a pastor, sin, your sin, other people's sin, sometimes like. <laughs> That's it. That's there you are, you pastor. Bam! And he says in German, which I have no idea shyster means, but I'm sure it's a cuss word of some sort. But he's like, you saw that guy's like, man, that had to have hurt. So, um, yeah, yeah. Sometimes like so. Anyway, I, I, I want you to know that part of what you're entering into as you think through uh, you know, life in the kingdom of God and service is that in ministry, right, there's, there's really just a, a multiple connection of tr- sub-level traumas, right? So you're always dealing with your sin and other people's sin, to quote my good friend Dave there, right? And that's always, that's always going on. And then there are those days as a, as a pastor, youth pastor, uh, leader, that you realize uh, you're just waiting for the real trauma to hit, right? You're waiting for the spike from the, the parent or the kid you've been working with, and they go off the rails. And you're just waiting. So I can, I can, we just had a church planter, and I only had nine of them in my network. And this church planter, 57 years old, one of the best church planters we had, and he just died of melanoma cancer trying to plant a church on the coast of Mississippi where they had not had a church plant for 40 years. And so I'm saying, why, oh Lord? And as a pastor, six hours away, trying to pray for him and encourage him and support him and think about his family, there was just constant trauma in my heart because I couldn't be there, but I was trying to resource and help people to resource that situation and encourage them in that walk. And I couldn't, you know, this was Friday before Christmas, I'm by his bedside, and, and he doesn't look like he'll make it to Christmas. He made it up to the 10th of January. And I just remember going, there is no vacation. We, we were trying to do a family vacation that we hadn't had all year. That didn't happen, um, because I would have been worthless on vacation anyway. And so we are always living in the context of drama, and we believe this sort of biblically, right? We're living in the drama of God's redemption, right? He's buying back lost things. He's renewing broken things, including us, hopefully, Lord willing. And so we just need to constantly be remindful that we are living, everyone is living in some kind of trauma. And that's not to over-psychologize that. It's just to say that sin has really messed things up. Right, one of my favorite sayings I did campus ministry is sin makes you stupid. And it's true. And it, dis- it disorients us. Uh, it causes all kinds of rifts between us and others around us. And so it's important to be mindful of that. So the motto that I've had in my home 
with my boys and my daughter, but particularly with my boys, I say, give me the motto. <laughs> I just, now I just have to point. I say, when I, when I point to you, what are you going to tell me? And the, the motto is this. Every one of us is insecure, like Michael, and every one of us, every single solitary one of us needs to be encouraged. I don't care where your senior pastor is or wherever. Every, I mean, I've dealt with pastors who were in their 60s trying to figure out retirement, and they were mighty pulpiteers, men of great faith, and are still, but they are becoming less than the person they thought they were once, right? And they are deeply rooted in insecurity, longing, right, to have their identity once again found in Jesus. So we're all having an identity crisis. If the motto is true, if everyone's insecure and everybody needs to be encouraged, we're all having an identity crisis. And the question is, am I going to find my identity in Jesus today or not? Mm-hmm. We're going to try to find my identity in my job. Am I going to try to find my identity in trying to get past this issue with this parent or with your pastor, friends? co-workers, whatever it might be. So every one of us uh, needs to be encouraged because every single one of us is insecure. Whether you're an extrovert or introvert, uh, whether you're braggadocious or you're self-effacing, all of us need the gospel of God's grace. So my favorite Bible verse has been John 2, 24-25. So this is, you picked a life verse. I picked this when I began doing youth ministry uh, here in Nashville, Tennessee at Covenant Presbyterian Church. This became sort of my Bible verse that I've still held on to and celebrated even as a minister of the Gospel. In verse 24, it, John writes this, But Jesus, on His part, did not entrust Himself to them because He knew all people and He needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in a man. <laughs> so, this is right after Jesus has cleansed the temple. He will be crucified, right, for this, this act of sedition against uh, the religious people, against the temple. This, is, this will be the reason why they crucify him. And yet, right after that, this is the language when there, many people are looking on at Jesus' ministry. This is his response to what they think they understand about Jesus' ministry. But Jesus really understands the ministry He's doing and the people whom He's working with, right? <laughs> so he knew what was in the heart of a man and He did not entrust Himself to anyone. It's my favorite way of saying Jesus was going to toe the line to redeem His people for His own glory. But interestingly, right, the rest of John's Gospel and the rest of the Gospels are is that, that Jesus actually uses all those men and women to make much of the Kingdom of God. That's the that's the that's the miraculous part, right? You get this, you get you get John's summary of Jesus' ministry, his understanding, the beloved servant of Jesus, and yet we know that he ends up using people like you and me to serve his great name. So Jesus is telling a line for gospel ministry and his glory, and he uses people like us. Uh, this this means that somehow, um, if we're going to find our identity in Jesus. We are looking for identity in Jesus so we would have assurance, right? Assurance in the gospel. That's a big deal. We don't talk much about assurance as much anymore. I don't think I haven't heard many sermons on assurance as of late. Uh, I, don't, I can't recall preaching a whole sermon on assurance. I think it's just something we say we should assume. But if we're going to find our identity in Jesus, 
then it's about the good news that God actually has placed the sealing of His grace by the power of the Holy Spirit into our hearts. Which is a big deal. Which, because that means that in your life and ministry and experience, no one, you realize, not a single solitary person, can give you gospel assurance. They can be encouraging. They can be nice. They can give you gift cards. Uh, they can tell you and your wife to go away and use their house and so and so on. But no one, no one but Jesus and His Spirit can seal that assurance of His grace in your life. And that's a big deal. So that frees you up, right? If Jesus must be our identity and His assurance is a gift of His free grace to us, then there is real hope. No one can give you assurance and no one can take it away. And that's sort of been another way for me to have a lot of hope in a lot of dark situations. I've been on youth staffs where I've argued with senior pastors about who should work with the youth. And they were very famous people in Nashville that were music people that my senior pastor thought, they really should work with the youth. And I'm like, there is no way those people can work with the youth because of where they are spiritually and what's going on. I've, had, I've been on a youth staff where there was sexual abuse that was hidden for several, several years. And the wreckage... You know, I'm not a great teacher. I did. I love kids. I love ministry. I thought about even going back to youth ministry. My wife says no uh, at 50, going on 51 this April. Um, but I said, you know, uh, I, I had a group of about 75 to 80 on a Wednesday night that ended up being about 30 people. And I want to say that it must have been my fault. <laughs> or I was going to say, there's a lot of stuff going on. And God is working through that. Um, so I've been, I've been involved with those two kinds of events and spectrums uh, and campus ministry. Very complicated. Very many political situations even doing campus ministry where there are more than multiple churches that support your ministry. And they have all kinds of expectations about uh, college students and where they should be showing up on Sunday mornings. So I've had to have these verses to give me a lot of hope and encouragement. Um, Planter, good friend, Planter uh, down in Louisiana, he knew I had just taken this job, and I've known him through different circles. And uh, I think he thought I had all my stuff together in life, was looked like I was, you know, pretty stable and making money, had a new job. And so I think he, he had a lot of skepticism about my role in just encouraging him and overseeing his work as a church planter in a very informal way, actually. So I took he and his wife to dinner, and I just wanted to celebrate the fact that they were planting a church, because I know how hard that is. And uh, when you go out with your wife and you're planting a church, we had a joke, a running joke, how long did it take us in our dinner together to start talking about the church plant or ministry. And so I just want to take them out, love them, encourage them. And as I began to talk to him, I could tell he was very, he kind of got his posture, he was sort of bristly. Uh, he was sort of frustrated with me. He goes, you, you know, you know, and I, to the point where I could almost say, you don't really understand me. Why are you here? I'm like, I, I just want to buy you a nice dinner. I just want to, I'm thankful for you. I just want to buy you dinner. Um, but you know, you, you, this is this is hard work. Yes, I understand. I, I, I know you, brother. Uh, and then he started sharing some of the things in his life that I might have known about in part. And then I began to share things in my life. Right, 
And then the whole, the, the, it's like the, the whole dinner changed. Because then he realized, I, I wasn't just coming there to check up on him. I was coming to empathize with him. That I knew how hard church planting is. I've done it. And I knew some of the baggage in his life, and the baggage in my life, and the home I grew up in, a broken home, was real. And so I began to share that. It was amazing how powerful, even in those few moments where everything just changed, uh, so that we could actually celebrate the gospel and encourage one another in faith and good deeds. It, it was, it's, trust is only earned by empathy with others. And that's why it's good to be a listener, right? It's really, the, the Bible's pretty clear about that. Like, slow to speak, quick to listen. And when you are entering into parents' lives and, and you're entering into even the lives of other pastors around you or students, remember, everybody's insecure. Everybody needs to be encouraged. And they, most of all, need your empathy in many ways. Your understanding to pray for them, to think about them um, as you walk through life and ministry together. So sharing the story of wreckage began to give us a hope of celebrating God's redeeming love uh, over that um, over that dinner together. So that, that's sort of uh, an intro to kind of who I am and and how I think ministry is always living in realities of trauma and difficulty. Um, what we the next question I really want to ask you. This handout's on the website, so there's a bunch of resources, bunch of books that that I have found very helpful in youth ministry and being a pastor. I put as many on there as possible, so you can go back and look at those and read those uh, descriptions and buy those books if you think they'll be helpful for you. But the, the, the guess this afternoon is what what is kind of what is your ministry capacity right now? Like, what is your ministry capacity? How well do you know? your gifts in many ways, right? How do you know the gospel? How do you know the story of yourself? Um, and how do you understand the rhythms of your ministry going on right now? Um, so I, I would say everybody's got to, got to learn uh, how God has wired you. So if you're finding your identity in Jesus, and you really are sensing His assurance and grace to you, which is Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, which I wanted to read to you, so I'll read it to you now so I forget it. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, uh, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. That's an important verse, again, to be mindful that Everybody is wired so differently. And, and so when you come to a conference like this, church planners conferences, RUF conferences I've been to, RYM conferences I've been to in the past, you, you, always, uh, you always meet a robber, don't you? There's somebody always trying to rob you at conferences like this. And that robber, his name is Comparison, right? The robber of all joy is Comparison. And yet, we live at a perpetual cycle of comparing ourselves to so-and-so and such-and-such. But you've got to know yourself and your story so that you can build out particular rhythms of ministry that work for how God has wired you. So if you're not a type A person, quit trying to do type A kinds of things. You might, If you're like me, highly relational connector, I'm good at focusing on admin about for about 30 minutes on this one thing. Don't ask me to do... Ten things at the same time, and I'm just—I'll be really good. 
It's going to take me 30 minutes, and you're going to get the best 30 minutes of Clint Wilkie for this particular admin, but I'm going to be better over here. And sometimes my own ministry, even as a pastor, I knew myself well enough to go, you know what? I'm going home taking a nap. It's Tuesday. Wait, it's Tuesday. You just started. You know, I took Mondays off usually. I was like, I'm exhausted. And I'd go home and I'd take a nap or I'd watch a movie um, and just kind of reload. Did that always happen? No. But I knew where I was at that moment as I prayed and as I was seeking to take the means of grace seriously in my life that I needed a break and this is how God wired me. So that's it. Do you know how God has wired you? Who's encouraging you and how you are wired? Who are the, the people that know you well enough to speak into your life and to encourage you and remind you that this is why they love you? This is how you've been made? And celebrate who you are as an image bearer of God, redeemed in the blood of Christ? I just think it's very important that you kind of understand your ministry capacity um, and the rhythms of your ministry style, even with who you are. And there's going to be all kinds of people, your youth committees, your pastors, and all kinds of expectations, that are going to try to force you into a grid. And so if you were in John's uh, you know, uh, seminar class, whatever, you know, 90% of the pastors are not in pastoral ministry anymore, right? So you know, like 1,800 pastors leave the ministry a month. Of 4,000 churches that are planted every year, 3,700 shut down. Okay? And it wasn't because they weren't super talented people. Some of these people were amazingly talented. And yet they just didn't have ministry capacity, didn't understand who they were in God very well, and they weren't listening to other people speak into their life, and they didn't develop rhythms that were healthy enough for them to have sustained gospel influence in ministry. So you've got to learn kind of what your ministry capacity is is right now. One of my uh, favorite quotes from a book that, that I grew to love a lot, The World According to God, there's a quote by Harry Blamires, and it says this, if we try to change the face, uh, the face of the eternal God, we indulge in the supreme idolatry. Yet this sin is committed among us within the church, maybe within ourselves. For are we sure, after all, that we pray to the true God this morning? And there's that book, Told Me So, Self-Deception in Christian Life. So don't over-spiritualize your life. You realize that you need to know who God is and who you are and made in His image. And, and otherwise, you are if you're not being honest, you're just engaging in idolatry. You're serving a God uh, who you actually don't know according to the Scriptures. You're creating a God you want to serve. And so the one who's revealed Himself to you, right? Uh, and so that's a huge challenge. Ministry capacity. Does that make sense? Any questions? Look, uh, one of the things I used to do with my professors at seminary, some of them were better lecturers than others. But there's a few of them that were terrible lecturers. But if you threw the, you know, the wild card out there and said, hey, Professor so-and-so, would you talk about this for a minute? It was gold. Like, awesome. Like, thank you. He's not sharing those notes anymore because they're going to kill me. Uh, and what that, that little one-off comment was... Extremely helpful. What comments, questions? This room is not that big. Maybe you know each other. Maybe you know each other better than I thought. I don't know. Clint. Yeah. Um, when you you talked about finding people to pour into you, finding people to you know confirm you. Uh huh. Um, do you do you think that needs to be a fairly diverse group? In other words, you have your family. 
you don't yeah. want to put all of those burdens on like your spouse, obviously. Good for you. Yep. Right? So, but you also don't want it to necessarily be just someone on staff. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how have you how have you worked through that, and how have you kind of just yeah. That's good. That's a, that's a great. It's a great question. I'm supposed to say that. That's a great question. Um, and it really is because I think we miss out on a lot of very very valuable friendships because we put people through a grid. And I, I'm convinced we we miss out on some Barnabases and some Timothys and some godly people because we just go. They're just not going to get me. You know, like she gets me. Uh, he's not going to get me. Like I know my, that guy's always got me. I, I've learned a lot enough to know. There are all kinds of people that God has used that are not my stereotypical personality profile person that have really encouraged me in the gospel much better than others who I've said, I want you to be my bro. I want you to be my go-to guy. Those, they, they're kind of lying to you about, about it. Those people just they, just, they want to be your friend a long time. They're going to tell you the truth. So you need some people who are a little bit different outside your sphere to speak in your life that you do connect with. That would be a violation of Imago day. So you you got to have some rapport. But I have found men, who do I know my friends are? They're the ones still talking to me after 20 years of ministry. And they all didn't start out with me playing football or going to Old Miss with me or whatever. These were just men who faithfully have prayed for me and asked about my life. And they're introverts and I'm an extrovert. They don't like lunches. I love them. Uh, but these people, those men, have, those men and women have helped me a tremendous amount. Great question. Other questions? What did, I got one. What, do you, what advice do you have for us that if if there are those expectations of like if there's an introvert yeah. and there's expectations that you need to be an out, uh, extrovert after extrovert right. yeah. um, like how do we how do we deal with that with a session or senior pastor or whatever or just go find a new place to work <laughs> yeah yeah uh, yeah I can't be what you need me to be I'm gonna leave actually I need a job I just had a baby that would be helpful um, I think that's you know. So, I have learned enough to know in church planting and in church world, right, there are relational and formal dynamics that go hand in hand. And there are job things that can be reviewed about our jobs in ministry, uh, even those that we're dealing with that are volunteering. And I think that's the conversation that, that maybe a person needs to have to formally define what they need for that particular role in any given season, or how can you grow, or what are some measurables. Um, that it's not simply... You know, Scott, you should be a, you should be just more of an extra period. Well, I'm I, I'm trying, maybe. So I, I do think it's I think it's an honest conversation with your direct supervisor. So tell Les to get his act together. And um, you know, and work through that, some of those dynamics like, do you really understand who I am? And and I and I will have a little piece in here talking about I, I know are there any senior pastors in here right now? Senior pastor? You know, lead dog of the church. Um, that is a really hard job, and it's it's underappreciated uh, in many ways. And so, one of the things I hope, if, if you're remembering the fact that everybody needs to have empathy and everybody's insecure, needs to be encouraged. There's just a lot of challenges a senior pastor who's still processing. Hopefully, oh, he's living in trauma at some level. Right, he's waiting for the elder or the budget to fall through. As I talked to several big steeple guys after, how, how did the how did the giving season go? How did December go? Oh, I, in 33 years, it's never happened. We fell a little short. You know, you can hear in his voice, like 
game on for him. So there are a lot of stresses and pressures as you work alongside a ministry staff with people that just need those kind of honest conversations. You know, so I, I would I would encourage a formal way to address maybe particular preferences, right? And so somebody says, "Well, I think you ought to be like this," and well, who's who's your direct supervisor? Who's helping you think through that in a more holistic, biblical way than just change, Scott? Just change, <laughs> uh, just fix people. Good question. What else? Again, all, yeah, go ahead. Just following up on that. Um, so, we're, okay, let me put it this way. Um, so, you have a few people on staff with you. You have, I don't know, 12, you know, 12 elders, medium sized church. Um, and you want to have these honest conversations. You want to be vulnerable with, with some people. Yeah. But at the same time, you want to keep boundaries. And so, you have to choose carefully who you open up to, who you don't open up to. Right. Um, just what what are your thoughts on that? Just wisdom in that, because it feels like sometimes, well, hey, if I'm on staff with this person, I'm doing gospel ministry. You almost feel like I have to be vulnerable if we're going to know each other and, and be productive. But then it's like at the same time, I don't want to open up and get fired or open up and you know get rejected. So yeah, this is a wisdom issue. Yeah, uh, being honest doesn't mean you tell everybody what's going on, right? Um, so I do think it's also right knowing the ministry capacity there's a piece in here too as well of, of understanding values of a team and, and how those are shared or not shared and that's a, that is a challenge so I, I would yeah I wouldn't just open myself up to anybody on your staff or any pastor he may not have the capacity to even think about your problems he just wants you to do ministry the way he wants you to do ministry which is not going to be good long term and he can't really think like that forever and if he does, he'll probably damage uh, youth ministry and his own ministry. But I think you got to be careful in who you build, you know, confidence, trust, confidence. We talk about this a lot in ministry, trust, confidence, relationships. You know, how do you earn chips? We talk about, right, relational capital and trust. And then when do we cash those chips in at certain periods of time? It takes a lot of wisdom. So you're talking about something about praying a lot and asking God to give you wisdom. Uh Again, to know what to say. It, it's it's what Jesus said to his disciples, and we don't think somehow this ends up in the church. But right, he said, "I'm going to send you out like sheep amongst wolves." Right, and he says, "Be shrewd as a serpent, and as gentle as a dove." As Van Til said, right, suave with the truth, uh, uh, strong with the truth, suave with the implementation of the truth. Right, and I think that's what you've got to wrestle with when you're trying to be honest. But you still got to you've still got to be honest to some level so that you can have a, a good formal relationship with somebody, even though relationally you may be very different. Does that help at all? Yeah. What are any other questions? I got stuff, but we talk. The one piece I, I did like that 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 whoever you were, uh, a boyfriend, fiance, girlfriend. Ma- Wife, you know, there there is there are limits, right, to what those loved ones can bear, and so it would it it increasingly is incumbent upon you to find other avenues of people to minister to you and to you ministering to them, and and uh, sharing some things with your spouse or beloved one way or another, but you, you've got to be wise about that as well. Um, 
Uh, because uh, in my days, I've learned that when I share, and I'm a verbal processor, unfortunately, my wife is a, very much an introvert. She's very private, I'm very public. And so uh, she's just like, could you just be quiet and say nothing more? Uh, but if I don't process, I'm going to die. But I've learned when to process, right? How much to process, and just say, let's talk about that another time. Or you could just pray about this. And even I, after you know, 26 years of marriage, know, you know this is just not a good time to talk about that. And I would say you need to develop ministry capacities and expectations even with your, uh, your particular loved one as you serve in the church and around the church. Other questions? Uh, so I did, I did quote Jesus' verse there. I mean the verse about, you know, be as true to serpent gentle as a dove. Not all Israel's Israel, right? There's tares amongst the wheat. There are goats amongst the sheep. There's the parable of the soils. We have all these kinds of kingdom imperatives that help us be mindful and remember that the, the, the landscape is very, very complex. And we don't actually know who we're dealing with. And I saw you know, Les's chart over here, right? So we talk about the, the presuppositions, the theological presuppositions of justification and sanctification, or you think about reaching and equipping. Man, I don't know, you don't know when those are happening. You don't know if you're reaching or equipping. All right? And maybe some of you are equipping, you're reaching for the first time, right? Depending on how the gospel is shaping that particular person. So I would just be uh, cognizant of the ministry landscape and that, that the people we're dealing with is, is very, it's very, very complicated. And, um, and we need to be very, very patient. So I remember an illustration of a good friend of mine that ministry of any kind, we should think more of ourselves uh, like medics than any of the other occupation in the world, right? And what does a medic on the battlefield look like, right? You, it, it, war takes place. There is there, the, the the battle has is raged on, and there's all kinds of people laying around. <laughs> some moaning, some can't tell if they're dead or alive. Uh, and simply put, the medic goes right and finds folks that seem to be alive. They're checking pulses. They're administering morphine. What have you? Um, to do their work to save the person on the battlefield. But not everybody gets treated the same, especially if they're dead. And you can't make dead people act like living people. I remember one of the great statements here, even uh, in Nashville, my pastor said, you know, Clint, I think we're trying to get you know, unsaved people to act like saved people. I said, yeah, that's a profound thing you just said. And I think the same thing is true in ministry, youth ministry and parents. There's, there's a tons of ways to be winsome and loving, but be mindful, right? Uh, that, that the folks we're dealing with, we're not actually sure where they are spiritually many, many times. I can't tell you how many times over the course of my life I put people in buckets or categories where I thought I understood where they were spiritually only to come to find out that I was a fool. I had a letter written one time by uh, a guy who... He said he came to Christ. He sent this letter to me, and I sent it to my elders and just said, "Guys, just be encouraged. This this guy has come to Jesus, and it's been a product of what's going on among us. And I just I thought you'd want to read this letter. And it was I'm telling you, it was the best letter I've ever read ever read by a Southern Christian. And that guy never came back to church. About two weeks later, and I knew his sons and his family, and I ministered to him. And it was a reminder that after all that I thought I saw, I actually didn't see anything, apparently. 
And it was actually kind of embarrassing, um, but it was a reminder. We don't know really where people are very often. So one of the quotes I had from a good pastor friend that God used here in Nashville to call me in the ministry was, we need to maintain the fact that we need the heart of a child, right? Probably heard this. And we have to have the skin of a rhinoceros. Heart of a child and the skin of a rhinoceros. And that means that kingdom, gospel kingdom imperatives need to be held in tension with pastoral wisdom. So there are all kinds of language, like shake the dust off your feet, love your enemies and pray for them, and the Beatitudes, so forth and so on. And so we need to develop, by God's grace, pastoral wisdom, even with these imperatives alongside them. The kingdom of God is for people just like us. Um, So that's thinking about... um, That's thinking about ministry landscape. Now, the next thing we'll talk briefly about is what does embracing a ministry of lament look like? A ministry of lament. So, if I was to do the interviews, right, if we all were to pull apart in the next 24 hours and I got to interview each of you and ask you a few questions, there'd be plenty of things that you would, you would grieve or complain about. You would try for a while because you'd be putting your best foot forward, but eventually you'd just be a whiner and complaining about something. Right? This is going to happen. Uh, but the question really before us is that the, you know, the psalms, the majority of the psalms are made up of laments. And they're not all about like uh, somebody dying. Laments have a lot to do with just changes of any type in any season of life. That there are real things that we have to grieve over so we can move forward. And so I think what we need to recapture in all kinds of pastoral ministry, but I think particularly youth ministry, with all the things that are going on, the articles I've attached about anxiety, you know, the levels, anxiety levels of youth are on par with, right, those who were institutionalized in the 50s and 60s, right, those that they put in institutions, the levels now of anxiety for young people are greater than, the, than those periods of time back then. And so we need to remember that lament is the most common expression of the psalmist. Obviously, there's the book of laments. But lament is important because it allows us to grieve and yet grieve with hope. Lament, I believe, is the Bible's antidote to sloth. Right? Like, why do I want to do this job anymore? You know? Um, Because you have to count a privilege. You have to count the cost to do ministry. And when you begin to do that, you can begin to lament properly with God who gives you the grace to move forward even when you don't want to do your job. When you don't want to show up, you don't want to meet with that student. I remember a story in Nashville when I had a moment where I learned about myself and it was simply, um, I was going to meet this kid for, for lunch and he didn't show up so I called the office. There was, there was no cell phones back then. And uh, I said, hey, where did, did so-and-so call you and say he wasn't going to come? And, and my secretary says, uh, well, no, he didn't call, and he was probably scared to death to call you. And I'm like, uh, well, why? Because you're scary. You're a scary person. And this was like, okay, well, let's talk about that when I get back, Lois, because I didn't really think of myself as a scary person. But she did help me lament parts of my personality, right, that I didn't see quite clearly. She was very gracious, uh, but she helped see some of my blind spots. So, Lament helps us to deal with sloth, busyness, arrogance, and hopelessness. 
Laments allow us to grieve properly with hope because of Christ's death and resurrection. So one of the things that propelled me into ministry was a Sunday morning, my second year as a full-time youth pastor. Student of mine is going going north on Hillsborough Road. Another car is going south on Hillsborough Road. They collided. My student is life-flotted to Vanderbilt Hospital. And we gather around his bed and we pray. He dies right before us. 16-year-old boy, stayed up too late, working at Baskin-Robbins, and dead. Right before I was teaching Sunday school to him. And so God used that moment, right, to grieve my soul of, of ways in which I wanted to serve that family. And God used that loss to propel me into seeking to be a servant of God in ministry. It was brutal. It was difficult. But Jesus used it as a way to lament and yet have hope. Um, that's, that's the reality of how important lament is in the life of, uh, of pastoring. Let me... We're almost 410, right? Um, what would a healthy church system look like in your context? You know, we've talked a little bit about this. Understanding shared values, developing realistic expectations with your pastor uh, and, and ministry staff, right? So you can read the book, The Advantage, so forth and so on. But, but are you having these discussions? Are you talking about what you... Because it's, a, it's like in marriage, I have learned this much. <laughs> My wife and I value completely opposite things. And so half of, 90% of our arguments are because we just have different values about different things. And we haven't talked through those. And like, yeah, I didn't think that would bother you. Well, how did I not know that was not going to bother her after 26 years? Of course it was. So shared values are important to understand because that's how we actually create realistic expectations. And if we don't do that, then we end up running over each other, hurting each other, uh, and destroying the opportunity to work uh, and have fellowship and unity together. You do need to understand toxic leadership. You do need to empathize with your senior pastor, but you do need others to help you have oversight, those who are emotionally mature enough to help you walk through. That's why God gives us elders and other people in churches to give us wisdom and develop relationships that are mature and healthy as we talk about shared values and realistic expectations. Uh, You remember this quote from Setzer, which is over-quoted, and he stole it from somebody else, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So you can talk about how great and awesome your church and your youth group is, but at the end of the day, it feels like something, and everybody in the room knows what it feels like, but if you don't develop shared values and realistic expectations, you'll never understand to find that culture together in the process of ministry. You can see the uh, John MacArthur's interview with Mark Dever. We now know the problem that John MacArthur was a little of a top-heavy leader uh, after it's all said and done. But in his interview, he had a complete revolt by his entire staff, which he lamented uh, in that interview with Mark Dever. And he began to talk about all the issues. But really, when you begin to listen and then you read the rest of the story, he basically had everybody working for him whenever and however he wanted them to work. Um, there are six competencies you need to keep up with uh, in the resilient... Who's, who's ever read the resilient ministry? Who's got a... Yeah, good, good. Anybody else? You need to get that book? Is Yes. So, Resilient Ministry talks about six competencies. In their study, uh, it, it was a Eli Lilly Foundation grant developed at Covenant Seminary and written by uh, 
Bob Burns and a bunch of other guys. But these six areas are pretty important, I think, for us to consider. And I've just got two more things and I'll get out of your way and you can ask questions. First, one of the things they talk about, soul care. You've had a lot of that today. Uh, how are you taking care of yourself spiritually, physically, emotionally? What are you doing uh, to, to care for yourself? Spiritual formation, what are, the, what are the means of grace, the other things you're using to grow in Christ? There are two that I think are pretty important that I talk to church planters about all the time. Emotional intelligence may be the number one thing for you to keep your job. <laughs> Which is, do you know yourself and do you know other people? Right? The people that I see, that pastors who have to resign or whatever, had no sense of who they were and they did not understand who they were in a system. Cultural awareness is number four. It's one of those competencies. Leadership development, I'll put a plug in for me. Are you identifying uh, the next group of kingdom workers? Are you, because, because you realize that the most pastors, most Christian workers who were called into gospel ministry were called between the ages of 15 and 22. I'm counting on y'all to start working on this because that's when I came to the knowledge of both Christ and a calling into gospel ministry. So take seriously the opportunity you have to raise up the next generation of workers who would love Jesus Christ and the gospel. So leadership development is huge. What is your ministry? What is your discipleship ministry plan? Because you are the most important people in our churches right now to reach the next generation with the gospel, to raise up new kingdom workers. So, and last thing, marriage and family. And I'll just end with... Um, I guess I can give you this little uh, diagram and, and be done. Uh, any questions? Bye. Put this little. Anybody tired yet? Okay, I've got a question. Come on. Um, so, how do we help? So, you said 4,000 planted churches, 3,700 fail. How do we help? The wounded people who come to our church. Great question. Well, how wounded are they? No. Uh, okay. Uh, you know that's that's a great question. Um, Uh, one of the things I've always done. Who, who has that question? Yeah, one of one of the things I've always done with folks who come to a church, you just assume one thing: you're hurting, and you need grace, right? To 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 sit, learn the gospel again, and think through what just happened to you. Um, so I, I let you. Somebody's got to be actively involved in helping them process where they are and what they've gone through, uh, and helping them think through how can they become healthy Ephesian 4 Christians, right? Like the works of the Ephesian 4 people, the body of Christ. So, Because a lot of people who come who are emotionally hurt from a church are ready to come help you at your church. Right? I mean, one of the things I was doing with the youth workers, like, I want to come help you because I, 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 I just got divorced and I can really help all your girls think through relationships. I'm thinking, no, you can't right now. <laughs> Maybe in a little while, but not right now. So, I don't know if that helps other than to say, I let people kind of marinate, sit. I say, come, glad you're here. Let God's people love you. You obviously have gone through a traumatic experience. Think about you know, where God has you. And then in due time, 
He will renew your strength, and we would love to have you serve in this church. Does that help at all? Does that, does that address some of that? Um, here's some practical things that I work on with church planters and talk to a lot of pastors about. Uh, courage. So the Apostle Paul, we'll finish out with this just little diagram. The Apostle Paul, the most courageous person I think I read in the New Testament, right? Besides the Lord Jesus, uh, is always praying for courage. Okay, so, and courage is simply doing what he said. One motto I've always had in my ministry is speaking the truth in love, right? And bearing with one another in love. And that takes real courage. I mean, huge amounts of courage that can only be divinely given. But a lot of what we've talked about is you leaning in and asking God to give you the grace to speak to a brother or sister in Christ with the hope of the Gospel. Remember, this is grounded and rooted in kind of Gospel faith understanding. Your desperate need of Jesus and His cross and His resurrection and His promise coming for you again, glorification. But nonetheless, because of this reality, you've got to be strong and courageous. Right? That's Joshua chapter 1. That's what Paul says to Timothy. And being strong and courageous is simply taking hold of Christ who is already taking hold of you. Philippians chapter, chapter 3. So, being courageous. That's something we all can work on. And yet, bearing with one another in love means we absorb the sins of others for whatever season that might be. We are like Jesus and saying, it's okay. They sinned against me, I forgive them. Um, and that takes real courage to suck that in and go, man, they really, that was terrible. Mm-hmm. And I've said, like, what they just did was terrible. Um, but God can give us the grace and the courage to deal with it. I think everybody needs to be some kind of coaching relationship as we finish out. That is, in your ministry, who can speak in your life and ask you certain things about objectives that you need to accomplish, and then who's helping you think through the best strategies in fulfilling your particular calling. So I believe in gospel coaching relationships. Gospel coach, it's on there as a resource, is a great help. It's got the cross, um, the cross methodology, connect, review, objective strategies, and supplication. I, I just say this has become a way I disciple. That's why I was doing with John Parrott and Ben Griffith and other guys. I was simply doing life coaching and thinking through these things in our particular spheres of influence. And the third thing I think that you need as we're going to grow in grace as God's servants is, is prayer and process in a group like that the trusted band of brothers or sisters in Christ that we can say, you know, through thick and thin, I know that person's going to pray for me um, and that we need to process where we are spiritually with so many others. Um, so... That's it. That's all. I mean, I've got we've got a few more things, but you can take that home and read it. You've got to be tired. I'm I'm tired for you. Um, you did great. Nobody fell asleep. There were a couple blinky eyes, but you made it. Any other? Yeah. Uh, you were talking about the importance of shared values um, mm-hmm. when you're doing ministry. Um, how do you start that conversation when you think? that values may not be exactly the same. Yeah. Um, I learned something from a, a very successful man in, in, in Jackson, Mississippi. He says, it, I know this is going to sound crazy, Clint, but it, it really does work. Uh, if, you, if you have a meeting, show it with paper and a pen and write stuff down. Uh, what I'm saying to you is when you, when you go to deal with the person or people you, you need to be on the posture of asking the questions to learn 
their values. Right? So you, you want to know that person, whether it be your senior pastor, another, you know, and half the time people that are venting or going off on you about something, that's like the seven, there's really ten other questions behind that one question that you're getting. And you're not going to know that unless you're asking a good question. That's why I think coaching is important. Asking good questions that lead to other questions. And then you're really listening. You don't assume that I understand your shared values, right? Right, yeah. Oh, I got what, I mean, I know what you're saying, Pastor. Yeah. But you got to listen. you got to listen. So I think a lot of that is, are we sort of asking and, and really learning and empathizing with those we labor with? Or are we just trying to answer people? Answers for me to do my work so I don't get in trouble, or answers so that you won't bother them anymore in their study. Great question. What else? Anything else? Okay. Be one and be filled. Let me close in prayer. Father, you you know everything about us and you have never ever flinched. You have never ever treated us like our sins deserve. Indeed, you are slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And we thank you that your patience and your kindness really does lead to repentance. So help us to be people who celebrate the joy and the wonder and the power and the privilege of serving Christ and His church. Would you give us the joy of your salvation? We can't even produce that in us, but you can. And you promise to do so in Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit. So send these brothers and sisters out with the hope and the joy and the power of the gospel of grace. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so I'm glad there was no serious whiners. That was my main... I was going to end. You better be thankful. I, I was talking to... Uh, well, you, you, some of you know Jean Larry. I was talking to him. What a privilege you have to study God's Word and let God's people pay you to do that. So be thankful. Send some more gift cards out and go and serve well. Thank you, guys. Thank you.